G'day, Dominic Barfield here, and this is the RVC Clinical Podcast. Thank you for listening, and thank you for subscribing on your smartphone or generic fruit-based device. We're really grateful for you taking the time to download and listen to this RVC podcast. We don't ask for anything in return, uh, though we'd be incredibly grateful if you could pop to Apple Podcast or or the uh, or iTunes um, and leave us a review. A five-star review would be great. Um, and uh, um, and if you just go to you know, iTunes or, or Acast, that would be uh, really helpful and work on with our metrics that we'll understand sort of one day. Um, but making it easier for other people who are interested in this information to uh, to find the podcast. Um, so uh, if you could leave us a review, uh, that would be fantastic. So today, a slight uh, different to the, the clinical acumen, but we're going to talk to Dave uh, Beeston, one of our um, one of our previous uh, graduates. Uh, graduated in um, in July this this year. Um, thank you. And we're going to I mean, actually what we're going to do is we're going to talk about um, life as a as a new graduate. So uh, today, thank you so much for uh, uh, for joining us on the on the show. Thank you for having me. So, Dave, can you can you uh, start with telling us actually where, where you're where you're working at the moment, and maybe um, ha- how you got employment? <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm currently working up in Cheshire, um, as, uh, an independent, very big independent practice called Leonard Brothers Veterinary Centre. There's um, about ten of us uh, vets and, and two branches really, and it's one of those places where I went to on EMS. Um, I went there for about eight weeks of EMS during during final year. Um, and actually, the majority of that was after I had finished rotation. So I went on a month-long placement and pretty much just pest, like pest. Uh, I was very um, persistent. Persistent, yeah, until they gave me a job. Um, so yeah, that's how I sort of came about. And were other your contemporaries, or other people in your year, did they do, do similar things about being um, uh, strategic? I'd like to say with your EMS and thinking about where you you might want to work and where you want to you know uh, yeah, work when you when yeah you I, I, th- I think a lot of people did um I think it's a good idea just mainly because I guess you get to know the team and that was one of the challenges that a lot of new graduates have but I didn't necessarily have because I already kind of felt like I was part of the team um so I know a lot of a lot of my friends are, are at practices that they'd already seen practice at but you're, you're then sort of very limited as geographically where you can go um I've also got a lot of friends that have gone on grad schemes and gone to different parts of the country so I think they're, they're both sort of valid options but for me, going somewhere where I'd already been was quite useful. And is that was that close to where you grew up? Is that close to home? Uh, yeah, so I grew up in Shropshire, um, just out um, outside of Shrewsbury. So I was always in the middle of nowhere, and, and London was a bit of a shock when I came came here. But um, it was nice to go back home, and I'm close to my parents, so I, I can go and see them more often, which is nice. Okay. So it make, makes it easier for uh, home-cooked meals? Yeah, it's definitely. Like it, it's far enough away that I can drive back for a Sunday race, but not um, not too close that they can sort of pop over for a random visit. Are you, are you worried that they'll be listening to this? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> See, so I think what's probably um, important, and uh, I, I, might, I might remember it's about 15 years ago now, unfortunately, well, fortunately that I uh, uh, went, into, went into practice. But I think, I think it's... Um, it's always a, a challenge and, and could you maybe just uh, briefly sort of touch on how you feel that you're I suppose you're transitioning at the moment mm-hmm. from, uh, um, from from being a, a student to a, to a to a graduate as in the roles and responsibilities so, so how um, have you have you taken that how you um, I think it's been a lot more difficult than I thought so um, I, I would always say that I felt like I was a really good student and a, a lot of things kind of came naturally, felt easy. But then you go out into practice and suddenly all that supervision, I don't think I realised how much of a safety blanket it was. And it kind of hit me a bit like a train. I, I, the, the simple things all almost just 
immediately came more difficult. Um, I think it's a really steep learning curve. Um, you learn something new every day and that there's so much that we try and cover in the course, but there's so much actually practically that you, I think you can only really learn on the job. Um, but certainly I, I found a couple of things that have, have helped is just trying to actually take a like a helicopter view of, of things and saying, okay, well, how much have I actually come on? How much am I learning? And this particular situation, why have I found it difficult and how am I going to make it better um, next time? So, so was that within the boundaries of, of um, talking to, to, to clients or expecting to, to try and get a, an answer or a diagnosis in a certain time period? Or was it billing or talking to clients about certain things or, or kind of the whole... I think it's, it's, it's the whole picture, certainly just billing and, and it's... it's a, the thing that's always said by new graduates, um, and I've, I've listened to various talks, uh, there's Kat the Vet that did a really nice um, talk on 10 steps of, of making the most of being a new graduate. And one of the things is, is billing. And certainly at the start, you, you go through the process of, okay, well, actually, this dog needs a lump off. And then when you start billing it up correctly, and however that may be for your practice, it ends up being a lot more money. And I think because you're so used to being a student, it seems like so much more money because you're, you're never used to having that. Um, so there is the temptation to undercharge but I'm very much trying to take the approach that if if that's what it costs that's what it costs and at the end of the day the business needs to make money so that we can reinvest in ourselves and, and get better um, but certainly um, I think one of the things that I really struggled with was going from having so much supervision to, to not having the supervision so for example at RBC we have the first opinion rotation at Beaumont which is one of my favorite rotations where you are essentially doing the job but you're still able to go do your history physical exam and then take a step back and go out the room contextualize what your your plan is and go and chat to someone else and I think yes I can do that in my current practice I can take an animal around the back really easily if, if I want to um, and I can go get a second opinion, but you can't do that with every consult. It, it just wouldn't work. If you've got 10-minute consults and you're fully booked, you can't go asking for an opinion on, every, on everything. So you kind of have to think on your feet a lot more than I initially thought. Um, I don't really know how we can go about that, making that easier, that transition. But it's just one of those things where I think it was just a bit of a shock having to make those decisions myself without someone saying, yeah, actually, that's fine. Um, for the more complex medical cases that I, I've got, which I, I really enjoy working up, it's always I've always just found, even if uh, one of my senior colleagues is just saying, yep, yeah, that's absolutely fine, I would do that, that's just really comforting um, to know that you're not messing things up. And I think you're always going to have this degree of imposter syndrome and new graduates and wanting to do everything right. And you want to prove yourself, but knowing your limitations and actually sometimes it is all right to go and ask for a second opinion has been really helpful it's one that balance though isn't it whether you don't want to ask a question after every concert yeah. but also you, you still want some reassurance to ask questions that you're going along the, the the right the right track yeah i think at this stage there's a very very fine line between having too little and too much responsibility um, you, you want to, to push yourself, but at the end of the day, you also need to recognise that experience is a really major part of the job um, and knowing where your limitations are. And uh, talking to your, your, your friends and colleagues who graduated like, with you at the same time, is, is this a recurrent theme that there are some people saying, 
um, they ask you a lot of questions or worried about asking questions or some people saying, no, I, I just get on with it. Don't ask I, I think it's really difficult. I think if you look at social media, it will tell you one thing. And then if you, you actually have a chat with your friends, it will tell you something else. No one likes to sort of say that they're feeling insecure in their job or that they don't know certain things. But certainly when I, I chat to my close friends, we're all in the similar situation where um, certainly the first couple of weeks, you just feel like you know nothing all the time. Um, and one of my friends actually said, he, he had been working for a couple of months before I started work. And I just, I started working. I was like, I just don't know what I'm doing at all. And he just said, I don't think you ever get rid of that feeling. I think you just get more comfortable with it. You, you get more comfortable with thinking on your feet and things just sort of fall into place. But I think it really depends on who you talk to and, and how open people are going to be about it. I think we do need to be open and just say, actually, no, I am struggling right now. I need to ask for help because at the end of the day, we're all in this because we want to improve animal welfare. And if you sort of, if you try and just be a little bit more arrogant and say, no, I definitely know what I'm doing when you don't, I think there's a risk that you're going to do harm. Um, you, you mentioned sort of social media there, and and, uh, and that definitely wasn't really around the same extent when when I graduated. But but uh, you know I, I know from from now that there's there's loads of different groups, uh, you know, um, with vets or you know in different stages, like asking opinions of yeah. other vets in closed groups and things like that. Do you do you use that, or do you do you go to your you, to obviously the people you work with your uh, your colleagues at the at the practice, or do you use a variety of things and and in addition to that but like, do you have uh, like a reference book or your or your clinical notes or how, how do you actually search for information so okay quite yeah no it's, it's <laughs> a, lot, a lot of questions but we can go through them um so yes i am part of quite a few uh, facebook groups so one in particular that um, has been really useful not necessarily for clinical stuff but um just actually chatting to people that are in similar situations uh, there's a group on facebook called veterinary voices uk um so often you get uh, you get specialists that are in there but generally it's a lot of first opinion practitioners that are just sort of wanting to check that what they're doing is okay and um that i mean that you the group gets used for things um like brachycephalic awareness and it can get quite heated in there and you, you can certainly have some very controversial um debates on there but it's i've used it a couple of times um just to see whether people would be doing anything different um in terms of where i get my information from i was a bit of a, a, a nerd and my graduation present was ettinger so um, I use that on probably a daily basis and my colleagues probably get sick of me saying the word Ettinger over and over again. Um, but also um, for, for some of the more exotic things, um, anything that's not a dog or a cat scares me. Um, and we have, a, we have a WhatsApp group with all the, uh, well, whoever wanted to sign up to it, um, RBC graduates with exotics. And um, I know a lot of my friends on there can, can attest to the fact that I've used that a few times when I've had something come in. And I'm like, what the hell do I do with a parrot? Um, but I, I do try and use my, my uni notes as, as much as possible. Um, but I think trying to stay up on, on top of literature at the moment, I'm in that stage where I'm still very much in some ways in the student um, mindset and I do want to carry on learning um, if I have a quiet day if, if that happens and I do try and do extra CPD but um, generally I'll use textbooks like Ettinger or I'll ask my colleagues because um, it re some things you just have to have seen I think so a good example is um, I, I didn't diagnose it myself but I um, it came in out of hours it was a seven week old puppy um, that had massive swelling of its head 
um, and all the lymph nodes in its neck. And one of my seniors just looked at it and said it's puppy strangles. And that's something I'd never heard of. And, and when I speak to all my friends that have graduated from other universities, never heard of it either until it's actually been pointed out. So I think certainly relying on my seniors has been quite useful. Um, so you, uh, so it's good as well that I, I like the fact that you, um, you use the book. I, I think that's good to have like a, a reference point, isn't it? Like if you if you yeah. don't know where to go, like where yeah. to turn to have a reference point. And I think that's why sometimes the um, you know BSABA manuals are, are yeah definitely as well for for that and, and definitely use you know that for, for yeah and animals. anything that comes it I I ha- um, have access to quite a few of the BSABA manuals and um, any toxins that I, I get in I'm straight on the BSABA formula. You can download the app on your phone and it's just so useful. Um, just to know what you're supposed to do, really. So, so conversely, uh, um, uh, to, to to things that you found sort of a bit challenging, is there anything that you've actually found, or like almost like you've taken it as a duck to water, or you found like a, a, a smooth transition? <laughs> um, I think that there's some stuff. It's few and far between. Um, most things are challenging, but um, I was in a very lucky situation where um, through a contact at work um, with the Wildlife Vets International charity. Um, I got a fully funded trip out to Zimbabwe to do a neutering clinic. Um, so essentially there was me, um, one senior vet, he was actually a wildlife vet. Um, he came with us as well and a final year student from Liverpool. And then we met a vet out there and we're, I mean, the conditions were far from ideal. We were operating on school tables in the middle of a desert. Um, but I, we ended up uh, castrating 65 dogs and spaying 45 bitches in four days. Um, and they also vaccinated about 1,200 dogs as well. So um, it was one of those situations where you would, we started at 8.30 in the morning and we did, we did spay after spay after spay. Um, I initially didn't go out with the intention of doing spays. I'd, I'd done a handful in practice on EMS and I'd done one by myself um, since graduating. Um, and I went the first day of it um, saying, I'm only going to do castrates because I know I'm comfortable with that. Um, and then we were divided into a boys and girls team and then actually we got back to the house that night and the girls had been like, oh yeah, we did tons of space and I'm like, right, okay, my pride has taken a bit of a hit so I'll give it a go um, and I'm so glad that I actually took that and I I mean, thank God I didn't have any issues out there um, but coming back into practice when I then had um, a nurse around me monitoring anaesthetic and so just so much more equipment available I just felt so much more comfortable with, with surgery and that's not something that I actually felt I was comfortable with as a student um, all the stuff that I found more easy as a student like the complex medical cases just because I, I really enjoyed going back to that pathophysiology side of things now I think I really enjoy it but it's so much more difficult when it's me making the decisions and I don't have that senior to say actually no that's within normal limits I wouldn't worry too much about that um, but then I guess the only other thing that's come easy is just um, as I said going somewhere that I've been on EMS before fitting into the team I think that's something that's really difficult for a lot of new graduates and um, I know a lot of the new graduate programs have CP on fitting into your practice team um but that has is something because i went there so much as a student especially in my final year i already felt like i was part of a team so i didn't have to break those barriers and i am more than happy asking my my colleagues for advice asking my nurses for advice and it goes right from the receptionist to the nurses having a practice where we're all just trying to improve the the quality of of um service that we're giving i'm happy asking anyone for advice uh, which I don't think I necessarily would have had if I went somewhere new for a job. 
See, see, when you said the, the um, you got a lot of uh, experience out of like the, the the technical aspects of doing space or, or castration. See, so that is a very technical thing. Yeah, is, is that the thing that you you thought was the the most worrying about going into practice, like some of the technical aspects? Yeah, and I I think there's only so much you can do on rotations in EMS just because the year group size is not just at RBC; it's everywhere. The year group size are getting so so big, and we're getting more and more vet schools and I think we're we're taking on more and more students uh, for for loads of reasons, but you don't necessarily get that practice that you may have had um, sort of twenty years ago when you were graduating. And I think doing a new clinic, if you can, is really really useful, just because it's just things like manual dexterity and and being confident with your ligatures. Now, I've always said that I'm not going to be a hundred percent confident with a bitch bay until I've had a bleeder, and touch wood, I've not had one yet, but. I think just having something routine that you, you can get, get into this routine when you're operating and it's not something that I, I'm massively keen on surgery but I do enjoy it because it, it's almost a, a bit of a, a relief because you can say okay well actually I don't I'm not switching off but I know exactly what I'm going to do in this situation and I know what things to look out for and you can just kind of crack on and get done with it um, so if you're having like a busy day on consults where you've had quite a few things that you're not sure about doing something routine like a castrate or, or a spay has been really useful things you had like a beginning middle and end to as well yeah so, you know, yeah exactly you start off with testicles you remove yeah. them you know that yeah is, is some it, it's something satisfaction that you, yeah, yeah it's it's something definitive whereas i think a lot of cases you can only go so far and then um what you don't get at university is that oh actually no the client doesn't have any money left now so we kind of just have to to i don't know stick it on preds and see how we go um so that that, that does happen and i think um, certainly it's almost biased what you see at university you, you see a lot of things going to the to the final diagnosis maybe not necessarily on medicine but a lot of things you see start to finish and you don't necessarily see that in practice because other sort of things come in into play yeah absolutely absolutely um so uh so with regards to the actual university course if you if you like yourself i know it's probably still early doors in, in a number of things mm-hmm. but are there are there things that you can see now that you're going through your, your five years of veterinary education that you think, oh, maybe maybe that makes sense why they did that? Or yeah. are there things that you think, oh, I should have, maybe I should have paid a little more attention to that or I'm still not sure why they taught us about Yeah, that. definitely. So um, I guess starting from the start of the course. So the more and more I have difficult clients, the more I appreciate all the basic science that we were taught in first and second year so um typical scenario will be having a, a client that is very anti-vaccination and they they don't want you to over vaccinate and i can say that my practice we actually do recommend what's on the, the latest wsaba guidelines for it but being able to explain the basic science behind immunology and why say we give dhp every three years versus one year i think a lot of the public if they're in that that sort of catchment where they're a bit anti-vaccination they just think we're doing it because we want money um versus if you actually explain that underlying science to them they a, a lot of the time they say oh okay no you're not just trying to grab money from me you're doing what's right for my animal um and i don't think a lot of the time it's it's clients that they they don't want to do something for their animal because they think it's unnecessary they just they just want to make sure what we're doing isn't sort of over and above what's needed because finances are always going to come into things and um we, we i mean we offer things like vaccine checks so that you can actually do serological testing but having that underlying knowledge i think has been really helpful and i guess it comes back to being a veterinary scientist then having that that basic understanding of science has been really useful and then 
going on to the later years without sounding like a salesperson for Jill, David and Holger, that logical approach to clinical problem solving has genuinely been really useful. Now, I'm not saying it's useful in all situations um, and I definitely have pattern spotted a lot of things and when you think the majority of my consults in first opinion practice are, are boosters, routine health checks, anal glands, skin, dental disease, more skin actually taking a for, for that not necessarily it doesn't really work but for some of the more complex medical cases actually taking a step back and saying okay what is my problem and where when did it come up so an example i guess would be um i've had quite a few cats that you would typically say look hyperthyroid so they're old cats they've lost weight they've had some vomiting on and off and they may be tachycardic you questionably feel a goiter you're like trying to convince yourself that you can feel one and um i've had a couple of those where i was almost a hundred percent sure kind of pattern spotting that it was going to be thyroid and then it comes back and it's not even in, in questionable like you thyroid six syndrome it's just low thyroid so it you kind of rule things out or make it less likely but taking a step back on those cases that tend to be a little bit more complex you you say okay our problems are weight loss, vomiting, um, lethargy, or, or, or loads, loads of these things. And then, okay, what started first? And revisiting those histories sometimes with clients and saying, okay, well, actually, the vomiting started first. Maybe we've got a primary gastrointestinal problem, not an endocrine problem, and it completely changes your workup. So I think that logical approach does work really well in some situations. Um, and it's difficult in a 10-minute consult, don't get me wrong. Like you, you do need to try... I think you, you have to manage things and manage client expectations and expectations of yourself as well as what's going to happen with the patient. But you're never going to make a diagnosis of hypothyroidism in front of the client. That's one thing that one of my seniors said to me, and it's really kind of stuck with me, is that you do have time. Now, you don't necessarily have time in that 10-minute consult, but as long as it's not an emergency, all you need to do is say, okay, well, what we'll do is we'll, we'll do some initial tests, we'll see what we get, and then actually you're reporting those tests at a later date, so you have time to go and read up about things. Do you, do you have any um, any tricks to uh, get out of a consult to read about things if you if you um, in, in that situation? Um, I guess I if. Um, probably not a fantastic one, but I'll say if. Um, I'm just going to go and have a look at what antibiotics we've got. Um, now, I don't necessarily give the antibiotics. I, I say, oh, actually, no. Um, thinking about it, we're just going to see how things go. But just saying okay well i'm just going to have a look at what drug we can use i can then go out and uh, i mean i've got the mini vet guide by gerardo poli um which has been really useful but also i've got all my notes on my phone um so i i tend to look at, at, at my uni notes more really and i can just sort of search for things um going that way that's that's really good and obviously the clinical reasoning book you know so yeah i mean yeah that's yeah exactly to, to their to their friends um okay we get no money for that from from them but you know Supports Jill and Dave and uh, and Holger fair, fair enough. Um, so uh, um, so that, so that, that's that's uh, that's you know I suppose like really interesting how that how that how that all that all that all that integrates, um, and how you sort of using uh, I suppose that that sort of teaching now I suppose like conversely I hate, hate to ask this but like is there anything you still think like I'm not quite sure why we why we did that you know? um, not necessarily not why we did it but there's a lot of things I think that we should be covering now it's really difficult to prioritize a curriculum and I think they do a fantastic job and we have to remember that I mean this is more of a personal belief but we're training people to be mixed practitioners and there's only so much you can cram into an undergraduate head um, and you, one thing that um, Adrian Boswood 
uh, said to us when he did an electron um, sort of um, where you could go and specialism, he sort of said it goes from knowing a little about a lot to a lot about a little. Um, so I think currently we're trying to teach everyone everything as, as a broad um, understanding, but it doesn't necessarily work. There are some things that we kind of miss out. So um, having spoken to a couple of my colleagues at RBC, um, that I graduated with and then compared that to, to some of my friends that graduated from other vet schools, one thing I've particularly found um, I struggle with is actually not the diagnostic process. Um, I can completely understand why we're taught in the way that we are, but long-term management of cases, how long things actually take. Um, so uh, when when you need to see something back, when do you need to repeat bloods? How long does this, this case actually take from start to finish? So an example would be I, I had a dog in heart failure that came to me and I sort of, it was, I mean, it was a, a pretty textbook case. I had a cabbie that was di had difficulty breathing, had a murmur and I sort of, I did some diagnostic tests and, and um, I saw quite a lot of fluid on, on the x-rays and things. And um, I kind of, I was very shocked at how long that stabilization process took. I went back to my notes. I had perfect notes just saying, okay, well, you need to give it oxygen therapy, get a line in it, give it furosemide IV. And I just kind of thought, okay, well, I'm going to give it one shot of furosemide and it'll be fine. Um, and then I, it ends up taking all day where you're having to, to repeat things. And then also just prognosis. I know I could probably find it in my notes, but it wasn't really emphasized at all. So th at the end of the day, that's what clients want to know is, okay, well, you've diagnosed fantastic you diagnose or well not fantastic you diagnose my dog with heart failure how long is it going to live if i give it four drugs versus two drugs and those four drugs is twice the price of, of giving the two drugs so how is it going to change what we do and i think that's really important to, to come back from a, a test point of view is i'm trying to be the kind of vet that only does things that i think are going to change my plan but certainly knowing a little bit more about prognosis and, and cost would be really useful um I, I think it's difficult to fit everything in, but certainly long-term management is, of cases is something I've really struggled with, and I don't have any solid notes. Now, it's one of those things where once you make that diagnosis, as I said, you've got time to go and look things up, and I can completely understand that's why we take this approach, because you can go and find a protocol in, in a textbook, but having more accessible notes from what specialists are doing would be really useful, I think. Mm. It's, it's, it's very interesting, I suppose, uh, the predominant thing in, in uh, a number of, uh, in, 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 you know, a number of what we do is, is that uh, we don't really have a lot of that information that, you mm. know, about prognosis, so certain disease entities, yeah. so maybe as you're talking about like cabbies with heart failure, you know, there's, there's scoring systems yeah. and looking at, you know, how therapies might benefit mm -hmm. some patients and other, but, but I suppose that's one disease entity. Yeah, and it's yeah, definitely. Everything that you come across in in day to day. So, so you, uh, uh, you know, I suppose probably what you're um, uh, thinking about is more of a let's say, say guidelines or framework for people who might not be um, as experienced in in that field to at least go to and think, okay, what what should I do in this situation? Yeah, and be continually updated. And then yeah. in people they have that it's called like the nice guidelines. So the okay. NHS do that for for, for people. Um, but again, like it, it you know, I, I think that the you know, there are um, some guidelines for certain things that come out every now and again. Mm -hmm. So I think recently in JVIM, there's one about seizure management in yeah. cats and yeah. dogs. You know, so so there are those that come out, but they're mm -hmm. they're not everything. They're not all encompassing. Yeah, and and, I, and it, it's just that I think the limit of of information that we have, you know, say or you know, good information, it's hard to be 
like well, it's hard to be very critical because like any information is good yeah <laughs> but, but as far as you know, comparing different treatment strategies yeah. for different same stages of levels of patients with disease x like you know that that's obviously the valhalla yeah but that's really difficult to achieve David. yeah I, mean, obviously I, that's I think yeah i think 100 percent. all the stuff that's coming through vet compass is, is really useful to to try and to to gauge those things but i i 100 agree it's it's difficult to know but as a new graduate you kind of want to have some not necessarily a definitive okay your dog will live for 237 days but just rough guidelines as, as, as to how things go on and then the i guess the only other thing is it would be really useful on rotations to know how much stuff costs um, so we're going to be the people that are referring out to referral places. And it's obviously it's something that's going to be very different between each referral center, but having some idea of even in general practice, how much a lump it off is going to cost. Or, um, if, if I need to some, send something for an MRI, how much is that going to cost? Um, it's really difficult. And I guess that's one of the, the aspects of EMS is so that you can go and try and explore that. But I think if I knew how, how important it was when, now that I'm graduating back when I was a student I would have asked more about it so maybe having some sort of just persuasion to actually inquire about costs would be quite useful that, that is interesting because sometimes if you if you say you, you know this is what things cost a lot of people go like is it on the exam I don't care yeah yeah exactly yeah. and all, all the, the um, I was chatting to a friend earlier who, who we were talking about the professional skills stuff and now I really wish I'd paid more attention to it um, I think as a student you you because there's so much that we're trying to learn you think okay exactly it's not gonna be on the exam not gonna bother with it it's an optional wednesday um type lecture and then actually that sort of stuff would be really useful and i think that's why certain societies like the bsava or or spivs are really good to try and get that extra information but there's so much that i think in retrospect would have been really useful for me to pay attention to mm-hmm. But again, as you said, they're, they're, you know, you're bombarded with information yeah. and it's a five-year programme and it's yeah. not necessarily light on information. But, it, yeah. but, it, but I think that and you, you try and sort of navigate your way through that as yeah. best you can, but you can't know everything. You can't know everything, everything no. So, so you need to, need to go onto, onto that. Um, so uh, so, you, so you, you're writing for, for the Vet Times and kind of like a like a blog is that yeah 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 so um i've got a a column with them um so it's a monthly column and um i write the the articles a couple of months in advance and then they get published which is quite nice so how did you get into that um so it kind of just happened um so i i can't remember what rotation i was on but um i had a couple of bad days on rotations and i really just needed to rant um and i didn't feel it was fair to rant at someone so i ranted at my laptop and i took it out on my laptop and i kind of wrote out this rant about how i felt as a student and how um, we never really talk about mental health and all the pressures that vet students go through. And then one of my friends looked at it and said, actually, this reads really well. Have you considered sending it off? And it's not something that I've ever done. I never really thought I was good at writing. I kind of, I just wrote as I would talk to someone. Um, And then I sent it off to the Vet Times and I didn't hear anything for for months. I I think it was like three or four months later, I just got this this message back saying, oh, we've finally read your your article. Sorry, it kind of got lost in in the post, Um, but we really like it. Have you got anything else? So, um, I wrote a couple of articles, um, mainly focused on sort of if I could give any tips. And I think it was a difficult situation. I, am I really qualified to be giving tips to people that are in exactly the same experience as me? But it was just one of those things where I, I put stuff out there and I got good feedback. So um, eventually they just said, look, we've got space for this new graduate column. 
would you like to do it? Uh, we think you you'd be good at doing it. We really just want to get more information of what that process from going from being a vet student to, to being a graduate is is like. And um, I've really enjoyed it so far. You touch on obviously the mental health sort of aspects as as well. So do you, do you think that is more recognised so in the in the practice you're in now and maybe um, your 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 graduating class? Like is it is it more something that people talk about? Or have I think talk about? I think we're getting better at it. Um, I think mental health within the profession is in general is a big issue um, and we don't talk about it. And I guess for me, there's this subset of being a young male professional. It's almost I think it's bad for everyone but I think we also tend to put a lot of pressure on ourselves and I think there's this whole thing about trying to be strong and outwardly strong in mental health is it a weakness now for me one of the reasons why I do the whole writing for the vet times is I think the more we talk about it and the more open we are about it the more other people will be able to talk about it and they think okay well it's not that we're we're belittling it and saying it's not a big issue by talking about it more it's actually just saying no it's all right to talk about it if you do have concerns um i think we're getting a lot better as a profession and um certainly it, it's it's trying to take a step back from i think the the very senior vets that are maybe sort of 30 40 years graduated and it they, they were very much oh well you just kind of need to tough it up and, and and suck it up really but um i think we're getting a lot better so it's definitely going the right way is there anything you um, uh, particularly do or, or manage to do uh, for your for your own sort of mental health, whether it's daily, weekly, monthly? Um, so yeah definitely I mean all my friends can probably attest to the fact that I'm a creature of habit so I'm not saying it's necessarily for everyone but um, so my my job I, I'm pretty lucky in the fact that we do our own out of hours but I only work every other Wednesday um, on call and then one in six one in eight weekends roughly so it means that most of my weekends are free and I do try and see my friends to do that but um, I also take that uh, as a, a time to prepare for the week ahead so um, again not for everyone but on a Sunday, I will do all of my cooking for the week. So I take about three or four hours and then I've got all my lunches, um, which I, I can just stick in the freezer and all my dinners for that week so that when I get home from work, I don't have to worry about that. That's an, a, It's not a stress that I have to add on top of my daily stresses. I can... I mean, it means I live out of Tupperware, but it's also, um, it means that I'm not relying on sort of fast food or, or ready meals. And it's one of those things where if you put a little bit of time in to, to actually go through that process, the, it's so much stress relief for me, not having to worry about it. And then I guess the one of the other things is um, I, I've always been a bit of a gym goer and I, I kind of swapped from being a, an evening person to a morning person, which... I never really, if you asked me a year ago, would I be up at 5.30 in the morning to go to the gym? I would have said absolutely not. But um, I noticed when I first started work that I almost started slipping a bit because I was going after work and I was too tired. and I wasn't just putting in the effort. And I wasn't enjoying it as much. So now I've just become this morning person um, and I go and it's just, it doesn't have to be going to the gym. I think there's inherent be benefits to doing some degree of exercise for, for everyone. And we know that. But for me, it's just actually having that hour, hour and a half where it's just me and I don't have to think about that stuff I don't have to worry about anything going on I can deal with that when I get to work I can just take some time out 
and just enjoy what I'm doing. So that's certainly been a, a big relief for me. But I would say the biggest thing, um, as I've already kind of touched on, is the practice that I'm working at. So I have a team that's really supportive. Now, as I said, that goes from receptionists, vet nurses, patient care assistants to vets. Um, all my colleagues have been really supportive and I wouldn't have been in the position I am now without them. So in particular, I've, I've got two, two colleagues that have uh, fairly recently graduated. So within sort of the last seven years, um, and, and they've really sort of taken me under their wing and we we have a bit of a whatsapp group um called dumb dumber and dumbledore um so a bit random but um we just use this as an opportunity to sort of ne- not necessarily rant at each other but just take a step back from some of the vet stuff and just try and make people la- make each other laugh and for me having that support group in work as well as out of work with my other friends it's been so crucial and do, do you find that when you sort of switch going to the gym from the night to the day, that actually when you got to work, you were in a better mood? To I, I think genuinely I was. So um, I think I can I can take the gym quite seriously sometimes. Probably a little bit too serious. Like I'm not never going to be an Olympic athlete. But um, for for me, actually, just having like a decent session where I feel like I pushed myself then does set the tone for the day so i'm ready in work i've already been up for a couple of hours it's not like i'm I'm starting work at half eight and i got up at eight I, i've had time to actually go through that process of letting my brain wake up and i don't know whether there's any evidence based behind that but for me it's just i'm I'm more ready to, to to face the day and then it means when i get home i can just chill i can i can go to bed early if i want to i can i can do whatever i, I, I want i don't have to worry about getting that exercise in then mm. And do you are you involved in any sort of team activities or or uh, anything else sort of outside of, outside of work? Uh, so whether it's, you know drama, sports, yeah. Whatever, whatever. So certainly that's something that I I need to look at doing. Um, I I did pick up um I, I i always used to row at school and when i i went back to the same area i actually went back to my old school and i did a couple of weeks of rowing and it was really really nice being part of a team sport again because all through uni i just kind of done the gym by myself and i certainly started that back up but unfortunately it was just taking too much out of me so i had to take a step back but i think as as i get more settled in the local area because it's close to home but it's still it's still an, a county away so it's still a new area um i think as i get more settled out settle down with work i'll i'll go and, and branch out a little bit i mean i've done a couple of open mic nights so I, I quite enjoy um i i always just go busking so um i quite enjoy that um but i'm, I'm probably going to look at into going into some sort of musical theater just to do something where i'm not necessarily improving myself but just doing something different um other than being a vet which i think it's kind of important you need to take yourself away from yeah. what you're doing and and de-stress whether that's yeah. going to the gym or yeah. singing a, a, you know in a musical group or yeah. whatever it's or all groups. it's all well and good doing writing for the vet times as a stress relief because i do find that it's quite cathartic but um it's still veterinary related so taking a complete step away from that i think it would be really useful and it might be a little too early in your in your career to to ask, but um, but do, do you think you like being a vet? I think I do. Um, I, I use that word think. Um, I think there are definitely times where you have to convince yourself. So if it's eleven o'clock um, and you're trying to force some activated charcoal down a very bouncy vinerana, and then you come back and it, it's managed to defecate all over the ceiling and it's chewed its IV line out, that's the time where you're thinking, okay 
do I really like being a vet? But I think that's the time where you have to really focus on saying, no, I'm doing this for a reason. Um, I think you're going to have good parts and bad parts to all jobs. Um, we have such a varied job. And I think if you look at the level of satisfaction you can get out of being a vet on a daily basis and compare that to some of the the, the more normal jobs out there, I think it's way above. You can get so much out of it. And I think that there's definitely that um, attitude where we want to focus on the negatives and you're going to have negatives. You just have to accept that, that, that you're not going to have happy clients all the time. And it's going to be that one in 10 client that is actually really pissed off with you that you remember at the end of the day. But I think if you try and make a conscious effort to remember all the good stuff and really focus on that, it will be so much better for you. And that's what I'm trying to do. And I, I'm not saying I love every moment. I, I, genu- I mean, I've cried several times during during uh, my work but I've also had some fantastic highs um, and I think we have to accept that we are going to have down times I, I don't think you you're never aiming for this persistent high I think if you don't have a time where you're feeling a little bit low you're not going to know what feeling good is there's no contrast there um, but for me I think the good outweighs the bad and I, I do really enjoy it and I, I mean I was always one of those students where I kind of knew it was exactly what I wanted to do from like eight years old um, so I didn't think I was going to struggle it has been more difficult than I thought it would be but in general I just really love it I think there's so much scope for development personal and professional that um, it's one of those things where you, you, you can just go so far with it um, so I, I do really enjoy it at the moment. So you're looking to the future, Dave. Do you, do you think uh, what what potentially uh, is on the cards for uh, if I, if I speak to you in, in five years' time? Um, what what do, you, what do you think you'll be doing? I think it's really difficult to answer. I think that it's there's so much scope for 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 different routes you can go in uh, I mean I definitely see myself in clinical practice I, I don't think I'm going to be one of those people that, that leaves clinical practice I don't I don't know what the current stats are like average of about six or seven years in practice but um, I see myself staying past that now um, I've got a huge amount of admiration for some of my senior colleagues that um, a, a couple of them in particular 20 years graduated and they're still loving their jobs in general practice they're they're constantly learning I mean they're, they're, they're up to date with literature and that I mean one of one of my colleagues is just um, he's 20 years out and he's just completed his uh, cert AVP in medicine and he's he's just so enthusiastic and my hope is just that my enthusiasm that I have now doesn't diminish between now and five years time but um, certainly I think one thing I'm going to try and make sure I do is that again it comes down to which practice you're in but my practice is very forward about CPD I think the first year everything's going to be interesting or most things are going to be interesting because it's all new but um, you, I think you need to try and keep that momentum up if, if you're going to try and stay in clinical practice. And I think there are so many options available. It's difficult with more corporate practices coming out for, for career progression, but I genuinely couldn't say where I'm, I'm going to be in five years' time. And I think that's actually quite an exciting prospect. Have you got, uh, so, so you're in a independent practice yeah. at the moment, so have you got your, some friends in corporate practices? Yeah, yeah, I have. So um, I, I've got friends that uh, in, I, I can't, yeah, can't, the, no, we, we can't name, yeah, in, in several corporate practices. And I think it's a very varied um, experience. So I, I think um, that there's definitely pros and cons um i think one massive pro to a lot of the corporates is actually um they've all got this built-in cpd now i'm not necessarily saying that the the topics that they choose to cover are for everyone um again um we were talking just before the show that there's this whole um fitting into practice um and i think a lot of people don't actually struggle with that um some people certainly do but whether that's cpd that everyone should be going on i don't really know but 
actually having a residential treat uh, trip where you're seeing all of your colleagues that you, you're seeing all your friends and it's basically a reunion every other month so that's something that i don't have i mean i'm i'm going to bsabo congress so i'm really looking forward to that um and i try and make plans outside of work to, to see people but i think that's one benefit that the corporates have is certainly it's a network um of, of students that that you can kind of talk to that are in similar situations um i think the career progression early on can be quite good in, in corporate practices but i think you do cap out at a certain point um and one reason why i chose to go for an independent practice is i i don't i think it's not necessarily true of all corporates but i feel like i have quite a lot of clinical independence um at the moment i'm not necessarily i'm saying i'm using that because at the moment i just want to make sure what i'm doing is not going to hurt the animal i just do what my colleagues do but I think as I progress and I, I do more reading for myself and maybe separate reading to to the other vets, I may change how I approach certain cases. But in some corporate practices, I don't think you can do that. I think there are definitely markups on drugs and you're supposed to use specific drugs versus what, uh, another. And I, I think for me, the, the benefit of having an independent practice is I know that um, I do have some degree of independence, but I've not worked in a, in a corporate practice. So I don't think I can fully say what, what it would be like. So, uh, so David, if, if you were going like, to to sort of sum up, maybe we'll we'll, uh, we'll call call time uh, uh, shortly. So, so what what piece of advice, um, I suppose, like would you give yourself like a, a year ago about uh, say that to trying to manage the transition to practice? Make the most of being on rotations. Now, I I think that it's one of those things, and I think some some seniors certainly mentioned it in passing, but. Now, if I want to, I mean, I, I've probably been quite annoying. I've emailed several, including yourself, I've emailed several uh, of, of my teachers from RBC for advice about things, but they're an email away. Otherwise, you, you'll have to pay hundreds of pounds for CPD to go get some advice and, and have current teaching. So if I could make more of my rotations and be more inquisitive, I know it's difficult when you've got so much going on, but making the most of having access to those specialists on a daily basis would be really useful. And I think maybe if I spent more time on my notes, that would have been really useful. Um, but I, I think to anyone that's coming up to, to final year or, or in final year at the moment, I'd say just go somewhere that try and prioritize your ems try and go somewhere uh, for a job where you've been before where you already know the team and it, it's difficult enough when you move to a new area um as well as starting a new job and i think if you can minimize the variables it will make that transition a lot more easy um and that's one of the things that i think has just made it a little bit easier for me I think that's uh, sage advice, Dave, and uh, thank you, thank you very much for uh, spending your time. I know you're you're actually still involved with the RBC because you're you're interviewing for the undergraduate position. Yeah, it's, it's interesting days. being on the other side of things. <laughs> so <laughs> fortunate enough to uh, to have you come down here and, and talk to us. So thank you very much for your your time today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been good fun. So we'll, we'll wrap it up there, and uh, uh, yeah, many thanks again, Dave, and, and uh, thanks to you guys for, for listening. So don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your generic fruit-based device, and that way you don't even have to worry about missing a podcast. If you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Acast, that would be great, and don't forget to tell your friends, vet friends, or any friends who might be of interest. Um, so uh, so we won't really have any show notes but, uh, on the RBC pages for, for this um, podcast, but... Uh, in, if you want to go back to uh, to look at a previous podcast, there'll be some uh, some show notes of the RBC Clinical Podcast. If you just type that into your search engine of choice, should be top of the tree. So if you have any comments or suggestions for this podcast, please get in touch. So you can either email me, dbarfield at rvc.ac.uk, or you can tweet at Don Barfield. Until next time, bye-bye.